Charlie and I go sort of jogging up through Armstrong Woods, which is like thousand-year-old redwood forest up in, in Sonoma, uh-huh. which is really a cool way to, you know, if you're going to exercise, it's like I just ran through like a magical forest. I used to go run here in San Francisco in Golden Gate Park, and I found that it was kind of like that because, yeah. uh, you know, the way it's landscaped, you dip through and go around and you yeah, kind of go Chinese from one. Yeah, there's a Chinese palace. Yeah, you go from one yeah. little wonderland to another. Yeah. Well, hello, ladies and ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 50 of the Jake This of Jake Johansson podcast, a very special episode. I'm so excited. I can't believe that uh, 49 episodes have gone by. Anyway, I'm Jake Johansson. <laughs> Who did you expect? You knew it was me. You knew it was me. Honest, when you look into your heart, when you look deep into your heart or your your whatever you look into to find out what you really thought and what you really felt, you knew it was going to be me. Um... Anyway, I have a nice uh, special episode this week. Before I get down to it, that, let me tell you where I'm going to be. Of course, I'm in New Zealand now uh, with my family on my little vacation, and I've prepared this delightful episode in advance so you can enjoy it while I'm enjoying myself. But when I get back from New Zealand, I will be off to many places. New York City, Indianapolis to Morty's Comedy Club, Washington, D.C. to the Improv. Delightful. Fort Lauderdale Improv, I'll be down there. Uh, I'll be up in Seattle to Laughs Comedy Club. I'll be in Acme uh, Comedy Club in Minneapolis. I'm going to go back to Denver to the Comedy Works, Zanies in Chicago and Rosemont. And then I'll be shooting my next comedy special at Hilarities in Cleveland. And that's uh, the first week in December of this year. So you better buy a better buy a ticket to that, right? Okay. Um, this week on the podcast, I have a friend of mine. Uh, I met him as he was a fan of mine, and he is also a successful author, which I came to know because he came up to me after the show one time and gave me a copy of his book, Lamb. Uh, his name is Christopher Moore, and. If you're not familiar with his books, they're great. They're funny. Uh, they're they're magical. I mean, he sort of talks about how he would describe himself later in the podcast, and I'm assuming a lot of people are listening to this because they're fans of his. But uh, he's he's written several books about uh, vampires, practical demon keeping. The first book of his that I read was called Lamb, and it was uh, it's about. Uh, the, uh, it's about Jesus's best friend, and uh, I, I believe that's I'm describing that right. It's been a while since uh, I read that. Maybe it's time to read that again. And his latest book is called Sacre Bleu, um, and it's it's in English as well as probably French. But if you don't speak English. <laughs> What are you listening to this for? Anyway, he's uh, he's from San Francisco. That's where I started my comedy uh, career, and so that's where I met him after shows. And since uh, since that time, we've kind of become friends. And I just had lunch with him my last trip up to San Francisco to the Punchline. Thank you again for everybody who came out to the Punchline, and uh, thank you for Christopher Moore. To Christopher Moore, I get my prepositions a little mixed up from time to time. Uh, thank you to Christopher Moore for uh, coming back to my hotel room and talking to me. Uh, it was a great talk, and uh, we covered a lot of ground. And I think it's time for you to listen to that. Here we go. Hello, 
Yeah. Later, so we can just sort of talk. This is all, and this will do it. And I don't have to. Am I talking into the no, thing? No, the thing, the computer thing, does the thing <laughs> mostly later after it's okay. After after it's you, yeah okay, it cuts off the bells and the whistles and stuff. So so we were just uh, coming up in the elevator to my hotel room. It's nice wow. in here, isn't it? Wow, wow. It is. You know, the thing about these hotel rooms, now this is not a bad, this is as hotel rooms on the road go, this is not bad. It's kind of got a little sweet feel, like we're in the yeah, little yeah. living room. Yeah. But check out the view from this window. <laughs> like, the great thing is you can keep it open, no one can look in. But uh, it's this is a weird kind of back eddy place in the hotel. This is the well, room that, no, this is the room that you give people on vacation they say, I don't want to be in that room. No, no, but when, but when you're on the road you don't look at you know and that's the thing, when I'm on when I'm on book tour, they which you've explained to your listeners that I'm a I'm an author. When I'm on book tour, they'll often they spend money on the rooms. So I'm often in a room that has like a nice view of you know like the Chicago River or something like that. They put you in the fancy room. No and yeah. Because basically, they're not booking me. They're booking every author from my publisher, you know, and they're going, okay, this, yeah, we're going to give these people VIP treatment because these guys book, you know, 100 rooms a year, 200, you know, so it's like being a frequent flyer club. You get the nicest thing. And, and I don't need it because I don't look at the window. The first thing I look is if this place is on fire, is there, because that's, you know, the, the selling point of this is if you were really, Sort of being all James Bondy, you could leap across to those big tubes and slide down if you had to get out. Oh, geez, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like my chances. I, I yeah, but think see, I could that, jump over that's because it's too. not. That's because there's not fire in here. Yeah. But if there was fire in here, you would be like things would have to be yeah. super desperate for me to try and no, jump. No, they had me tube. at the Swiss Hotel in Chicago one time. They had me at like the 85th floor, and there was nothing between me and a construction hall next to it. And I'm like. I'm going to have to build a parachute. You know what yeah. you need in that situation is that suit. Have you seen this suit? It's like a flying squirrel suit. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have that. Yeah, because that's a great thing. It's, yeah. it's comfy to sleep in. Yeah. And you can go right out the 85th floor window. Yeah. I don't care. I, you know what? I don't I don't carry that on the road, but I should have the flying squirrel. Yeah, well, you know, some people sleep in that little um, silk bag inside of their hotel room bed because they're yeah. afraid of... Bed bugs. Yeah, except the bed bugs can get. I don't think people understand bed bugs if they think that you can avoid them by sleeping in that little bag. No, because they'll yeah. come from right down the hall. This is my understanding of bed bugs: is that they can smell your exhalations or whatever when you're asleep, yeah. and that's what that's what activates them. And they come; they'll come from down the hall. To if all the other rooms are empty, they'll come into this room yeah. after you to eat to, to eat. So they'll go into that bag. That so, bag's not going to keep them out. So you travel a lot. You know, I yeah. don't travel as much as you. When I travel, I travel a lot, but I don't travel as much as you do. Do you think about that? Okay. No. I did get a little bit worried one time. I went to Reno, and I had gone online because I hadn't been to the... the. It was Sometimes these the casino things are... Because you're in the hotel, and the gig is in the hotel, and you have right. meal tickets at the restaurant that's in the hotel, so yeah. you cannot wind up going outside for a few days. And I went online to check out the hotel to find out, like, what is it going to be like, and do they have a gym? And then there was a lot of stuff about bed bugs on the site for this particular thing. And mm-hmm. so that week, I was worried about it, but I just, I just made sure my bag was always on that luggage rack, right, right, because they won't go in your bag. They, they'll, the bed bugs will come where you are, and then 
And then you put your stuff in the bag. You put your stuff in. If you leave your stuff on the floor, maybe they'll crawl in there, but they're not going to just go into the bag. Oh, okay. And sleep. No, but that's worried. my understanding. I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, even if I haven't gone anywhere for six months, if I sort of itch in the middle of the night, I'm like, well, they found me. And, and then I'm, <laughs> they found know, me. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's good to have that people, kind of level of paranoia. Yeah, because people, like, well, people act like, well, they're invisible. They clearly are invisible because other, everybody, well, we didn't know we had a bed bug problem. And it's like, well, didn't you see any bed bugs? And I have never seen a bed bug. I think they're pretty tiny. I mean, we've had mites. I've told this story on the podcast already about so it's my okay. wife and we I got. Talk about your mites. We got mites, and it wasn't just mites; it was people like scabies. That's what we had. Yeah, yeah. That was a while ago. You're not going to get that from me now. Well, you um, know that you can't get crabs anymore, evidently. Why? Because of all the Brazilians and the and the waxings and whatnot. There's they their uh, it's habitat loss. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Because I had crabs in my early days of San Francisco. Yeah. There was a lot of, there was, hey, it was freewheeling time. Right, right. And I, those things are, because we have had, we, deal, we deal with head lice at my daughter's school. Right. You know, kids get head lice, but right. they are nowhere near as hard to get rid of as crabs. Yeah. But really, it's the habitat loss of the crabs. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing. There's actually like a Swedish uh, scientist who's worried about it. That crabs are going to go extinct, and I'm like, no, dude, be, you know, become a reserve. Um, but that's a great idea. Yeah, but um, part, I'm part of the crab. I reserve. dated that girl. Stand was back. Like I'm early part of the crab on. reserve. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sure in the in the 80s, I dated that girl that was decided she was going to do that for the environment. But um, yeah, that's a thing because of all the the waxing and manscaping and whatnot. The crabs are endangered. So I'm I feel like I'm I'm too late for for that. I mean, I don't, don't think you have to feel like I haven't seen a bald eagle kind of thing. How do you mean? Well, well no, what do you I mean, mean you're I've too seen, late for that? I mean, that was I wasn't worried about that. No, but I mean I've seen shaved ladies ladies do some grooming. My wife does some grooming. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm telling any secrets that yeah, she would mind okay. me telling. Yeah. Some, you know, shaving right, and sculpting right. down there. But I don't I'm not Give me for God. Yeah, men do it now. That's yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's not. No, that's not going to be. I would not even know how to get started shaving my balls. I mean, I would know how. I think, <laughs> I think I would know how to get started, but I would probably be making some mistake because I'd be. Well, you know, you know, it's it's just difficult getting past the self-heating shaving cream part of it. Um, <laughs> remember, that, you're like, oh. I don't know. I got distracted. And <laughs> remember when that was a Father's Day gift? That hot yeah, lather yeah, dispenser. Yeah, the hot lather thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh absolutely. man! And, and they, they made the stuff that chemically heated itself. That you sprayed it out. Oh, as soon as it came out of the can, it automatically yeah, it heated automatically up. Yeah, it automatically heated up. Now, that, had, that just went away. And there is no reason that that would have gone away, except that it must have been something really, <laughs> right. oh, really this toxic. Is, this, is, this is poison. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. But it's self-heating poison. Yeah, let's nice. take it out of the... Yeah, we'll take that there's out. all sorts of beard softeners in it. But, yeah, so that... The, I don't... You're not a manscaper. No, no, I no. There's a point where I just go, okay. The armpit thing. It's like I, I look like I have two Rastafarians living in my armpits, and I'm like, okay, I got to take the edge off of that. But it's, but it's not. You'll do some pruning. Uh, yeah, yeah, some pruning and 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 so forth. But no, the the whole because of my experience with wildlife back in the '80s, you know, I have been I have experienced shaving. 
I yes, me too. And that okay, is, me too. And that's I did really that. uncomfortable. I did that. It's not so great when it grows back. No, it's itchy. Yeah, that was my experience with the crabs. Is we, me and this other woman that I was dating at the time, got them. And then they came back, and it was like, we don't want these to come back that's again. All, yeah, that's and so, yeah, so we did a shave, and I thought we'll shave together to... Uh, It'll be a thing. I thought it would be kind of romantic, but she started crying, and it was terrible. <laughs> you know, she was just like, I can't believe we have to do this. And We're horrible. It was so terrible. She was older than me, too, and so she had been... She was from the time when ladies decided I'm not shaving anything anymore, oh. you know, and so this idea that she had, I guess it was a yeah. kind she of... Had, yeah, so she had basically given up herself work. This was a kind of a, yeah. I hate I hate that I'm now giving up my feminist thing and having to do this thing, even right. though it's not a thing. Right. I mean, there was, too, there was too many levels, which is often what causes things to go wrong. There were too many levels. <laughs> yeah, too many levels. Yeah, so... I don't know how, why we're talking about that. Oh, the oh because part. we came back to my hotel room. So yeah. on, the, on the elevator on the way up here, we were having a conversation, and you were talking about your time when you first started being a, a writing in Cambria and how it was easier to decide to become a writer when you're in a place where you're kind of special already because it's a small place. Yeah, yeah. It, you're not, you don't feel like such a number. or you know, You're not on the 405 behind 100,000 people in, you know, Cars exactly like yours. I, I found when I, because of that particular place, in, which is in California, and, and I'm from the Midwest, as you are too, aren't you? From yeah. like Iowa or something. Um, you know, you always think of California as Los Angeles. I mean, that's what I thought of growing up. It was like. Yeah, I, sort of, I guess. I, I sometimes think of California as, uh, as San Francisco. But or or more of the San Francisco feeling. I think in the rest of the country, California, that hippy dippy feeling. That Los Angeles in the seventies, maybe that. Yeah, well, I, I think I just thought I was gonna. And I when I moved out to California, I, I originally went to Santa Barbara, which is Southern California, kind of at its shiniest. But um, and where did you come from? Ohio. I, I'm yeah, just okay. south of Cleveland, and uh, you know, sort of that rusty area of Cleveland, Columbus, uh, Akron area. And so anyway, but but so this part of California is not like that at all. You know, Cambria is like small town, hippie-ish, retired people on the beach. But it's right on the beach. Yeah, it's it's kind of misty, wet, kind of dreamy. Yeah, it's not high pressure. It's like Pine Forest. It's in fact Mm -hmm. it was the setting for three of my books, um, Mm -hmm. my Pine Cove books, and and um, because I knew about it. But anyway, yeah, you felt like you could do something significant. You know. Yeah, so because you would be the guy in town who was the author. I have to now just make this stop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the blow, I forgot. The blower that. came on. I can't believe. I'm, yeah, we're in. We're in a yeah. Well, the other thing about Cambria, and I, you know, I don't, don't want to take you down the rat hole of my history, but the thing was, if you wanted to be a DJ, you would go to the radio station and go, "I want to be a DJ," and they go, "Well, do you have Sundays from two to four open?" And like. Yeah, and they go. Do you know anything about jazz? And you're like, no. And they go, you willing to learn? And you're like, yeah. And and so you could do it. And then, so you could do stuff at a really not very good level, and people would let you. 
You know, it's right. like I worked for the newspaper. I never worked for the newspaper. You um, decide, decide I like yeah, to write for the newspaper. Like, you know, we go, okay, we don't to, have a guy who does Yeah, we need somebody to, to paste up stuff. You know, can you use rubber cement? And I'm like, yeah, I'm awesome with rubber cement. And so you would, I mean, in those days you didn't, everything was um, pasted up by hand. Right. And then sent to the printer. And, and so that's how you get in the door. And, and so there was, you could kind of go, you know, there was nobody sitting there. Which was not only the case in bigger towns in California, but also where I grew up. There's everybody was sort of like, well, you can't do that. That's not a yeah. Know. People from here don't do that. That was yeah. definitely to be to decide that you're going to be in show business in Iowa to be a comedian or yeah. an actor or something like. Well, but that's what I was going to say. So this is the question that people ask me all the time, yeah. and that it made me want to ask you. It's just because it's such a weird, it's a weird perspective on the world to me, that question. How did you know that you could be a comedian? How did you know that you could be a successful author? Um, First of all, I'm saying it's totally okay to call bullshit on the question because that's what I'm going to do in a minute. um, I don't, you know, I don't, you don't know, but you... You, you. I think you want to go someplace where you can try. I mean, I, I, I think I, one of the things that you have to accept, and it's not an easy thing, and 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 neither you or I can speak to it because we can speak to it at at levels because everybody fails, and it's not like, oh, I, I didn't, you didn't get to become a comedian because you are and you're successful. I didn't be, get to become an author because I am and I'm successful, but I have. Many, many times that I've set out to do something and haven't done it, haven't gotten to the level that I wanted to get at. Still, you know, after doing this professionally for 22 years, so there's no. Are you talking about writing now? Or yeah, you I'm talking, talking about. about uh, yeah, I'm talking about trying to do something that everybody else, everybody where we came from, said you couldn't do. Uh huh. And um, and 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 answering the question, how did I know that I could do it? I didn't. I just tried it, and people, other people went, yeah, it's not awful. You know, and well, then I tried it again. So I, there was no light went off that said, you're the guy. You know, I just I just went, I suck at so many other things and this I'm pretty good at. So, you know, I'm going to try that. But you didn't know you were pretty good at it until you tried you started it. started doing it, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's kind of the answer that I give, too. I, I sort of feel like the question has inside of it the mistake that's keeping you from doing what you want to do. Because right. when you think of the world as a place... That you're not allowed to do something unless you know you're going to be good at it. You're never going to try anything. Right, right. So I, I, that's my answer too. Is I didn't know that I could be a comedian. I knew I wanted to be a comedian, so I tried. And then I feel like if you try something because you want to do it, you are either going to be successful, in which case it's great. Now you're doing something that you right. really love to do, or you're going to not be good at it, but you're going to get closer to the next thing that you know that you want to try. Right. And so you're always going to be incrementally moving towards something that makes you happier than whatever it is you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, for me, you know, in that, there, there's a lot of the, the risk-taking aspect of doing something that nobody knows. You know, I, I, anybody who, you know, fortunately probably not your audience, but anybody who's ever heard me talk about it, I talk about, you know, talking to my parents about wanting to be a writer, it would have been easier to say I wanted to be a turtle because they had seen a turtle and they knew what a turtle <laughs> looked like, but they had never seen a writer uh-huh. and uh, or knew anything about it. My mother, for I had five novels in print. She would tell people, yeah, Chris wants to be a journalist. And I, and I was like, no, Mom, that's not 
what I want to do. Um, and and so, so a lot of it is uh, trying to get, a, get past people telling you, you know, that's not a real thing, you know. Right. Well, and that's the thing about uh, stand-up, too, is nobody – I mean, I didn't even really know what I was getting into at the time. And so it was hard for me to explain to my parents what what I was doing, and and it's still sometimes hard to be, because there's the, there's what I'm doing is stand up and comedy. The live performance aspect of it has always kind of been the means to an end, at least perceived by the public. Right. And and I think a lot of comics too is like, oh yeah, I love doing this, but then I'm going to become a TV star or a movie right, star or right. something like that, as opposed to no, actually, this is what I, I like doing this, and this is what yeah. I want to do. So, yeah. so there's a little of that realization that goes on with. Now, did you when when you decided you wanted it? Were you in college when you decided when you went? Yeah, yeah. something I want to yeah. do. And did you um, realize that that wasn't going to be something that you could do in Iowa, or it would be hard to there pursue? W- no, there was no one doing stand. I met a guy who was supposedly a comic. In Chicago, I yeah. mean, he and I were in a play. He was ten years older than me, and he was coming out to San Francisco, and so I kind of piggybacked on the back of that. Yeah. But even when I got here, he didn't end up coming, or he came ahead and then yeah. left before I got here. But I, I didn't really even understand what you do if you're going to be a stand-up. I was right. so kind of just following so, this so concept. You came, you came to San Francisco, did you what, Did you get a job? Um, yeah, I got a waiter job and I was yeah. waiting tables and bartending and stuff and then and then I started doing open mics because that's what I had told everybody that I was going to do and that's right. what I figured out once I got here right. is how you get started doing stand-up. And then I just, that's, everybody was doing that and when you start doing it then you meet other people who are doing it and find out other places where you can yeah. perform for free and try and get better and try and get stage time and so... It was a real epiphany to me that, oh, there's people that are not famous that, you know, none of the people I know in Wisconsin or Iowa have ever heard of, but that are making a living as stand-up comedians. I mean, that's sort of the myth of success that still is going on today is people think, oh, if I haven't heard of you... You know, you must have a day job, and it's like, well, that's not really true. No, really no, true no. When you were, when you were, uh, t- time frame. When you were here, was uh, was Paula here? Was, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Paula, Paula was uh, one she of was the, working here, and she was a uh, headliner in the Bay yeah, Area, yeah. starting to go out. And Robin in the rest had already left. He was Robin had already there. left, but you know, Bobby Slayton was here, and Kevin Pollock, and right, Hey Whitney right. Brown, and. Um, Bob Goldthwait came through San Francisco on his way to L.A. before he mm-hmm. blew up, and Ellen yeah. DeGeneres too. So this was a this was a great place to be. This was like the Florence of comedy for for uh, you know along with along with other places like Boston and um, yeah. uh, you know Chicago was a great place for a while. Yeah. But San Francisco and Boston really had some great comics yeah. come out of them out of those cities for a while. Uh, oh. So let's go back to you now. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. I got shifted off onto my. No, I no, I because people are listening to your podcast, and I saw stuff I want to know. You know, so I'm go ahead. You're, you're yeah. shifted. Do whatever you need to do. So I was just. Have you ever done a? I was. This is it's that time of year right now, and I was on Twitter. This is how now I get my news. We were talking about this about how I sort of stopped reading, watching right. TV news 
and I, now I go on Twitter and people tweet articles, and if I'm interested, I read them. So I was just reading about Joss Wheaton's um, commencement address, yeah. and I had been thinking that I should write a commencement address just in case I ever get a chance to give a commencement address. And so I'm curious, have you ever given a commencement address? I got asked to get this goes back to what we were talking about. I got asked to do the commencement address at the Kauai High School when I lived on Kauai. Uh-huh. Now, high school I'm, commencement address is so much better to me than a college. I never finished address. college, you know, so I don't know what I'm going to say to those people. I'm like, well, good for you. <laughs> Give it a shot. <laughs> I'm still kind of a sophomore. Um, but but that's the only one I got asked to do. And I and, and Within a, a week or so of them saying, I think we think we'd like you to do this because this was like in January, you know, and so I had until May to to do it. And um, I was down at Hanalei Bay, which is, as we talked about, it's this perfect, idyllic, tropical bay with a little town on it, and there's always oh, it's beautiful. That's, there's always yeah. like slack key guitar playing, and even if there's nobody there, it's beautiful. And you know, the, if you go out of the grocery store at Hanalei. And it's rained at all. You can look up and see seven waterfalls. I mean, it's one thing to see seven waterfalls if you've hiked up into the. But but standing at the door of the grocery store and looking up at seven waterfalls, that's pretty awesome. So that's the that that's the environment. And I'm. It's a good de- definition of success too. If you're in a place right now where you can see seven waterfalls, yeah, don't go anywhere else. Yeah, you're good. So so anyway, and I had you know it, it, it I'd thrown a fair amount of money at getting to moving to Kauai, you know. And um, and I was, I think, about to turn 50, you know, in my late 40s. So I'm down in Hanalei by the pier, and all these kids, all these high school-age kids come running down the pier, and they all jump in, and they've got boogie boards, and they're talking, and they're laughing, and they're, it's the only time they're not texting, and they're... And they're um, and they're in the water, and I'm, I'm sort of like, what's going on? And, the, and this little girl goes, um, oh, this is class. And i like, get the fuck out of here. And, uh, and they have a class where they just. It was jump like in a class. Water. Yeah, it was a class. It was like gym class, or I don't know what class it was, but I like. I said, "So you're getting credit for this?" And she goes, "Yeah, we're at school now." And then you know, the, oh, and then the you know lady will blow the whistle, and I thought, "What am I going to tell these kids?" Well, if you go to Cleveland and you work really hard building glass for automobiles and stick with it all your life, you might possibly come back and be in the place that it took me all my life to get to. And, you know, it's it's hard to give that, you know, reach for your star speech to a bunch of kids who grew up in Kauai, who basically, and you talk to them, you know, they go, you go, what are you going to do? And they go, well, I think I'm going to wait tables and surf. And you go, well, what about ambition and you think you know the there there is if they do everything right they're going to end up exactly where they started except in like a nicer house and yeah. and, and I was and and for some reason I didn't I didn't go through with it I didn't cancel I think they canceled me they were like no you suck and um so I didn't do the commencement so I don't have a commencement Speech. What was what did you do? You have any idea? Do you remember what your message? This wouldn't have been that long ago, right? Just no, this was like six years ago. Um, I I'm really, I've been thinking about this a lot because of the time of the year, because people who of who I'm jealous of get to do it, but then I'm not sure I want to do it. And we've had that discussion about you know fame and stuff like that. And then I mm-hmm. I realized, well, do I want that? Yeah. And, it is um, tricky that 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 is a tricky thing about it is because 
you can, and I think this applies to other people too, you can start feeling bad about yourself when you compare yourself to other people because of the things that they get to do and you, without even really considering, like, do I want to do that? Yeah, do I want to? Exactly, exactly. And that, yeah, that's sort of, that, that's sort of the commencement speech thing is, you know, it, it's, the, let me equate it to, you know, I don't know what to tell somebody because I basically, it's only, you know, by the grace of the universe or God or whatever, that I didn't completely implode and end up, you know, crashed in a car in my 20s or teens or, you know, I, I screwed up so much up to the time I was, you know, 32, I think, that it was only pure luck that I didn't self-destruct. You know, there's other people that, that went under. Um, who had lived, and I, I'm not being self-pitying in any way. But like, what types of things? What just, just no, you know, no. um, you know, destructive relationships, not pursuing, you know, not being uh, uh, conscientious about pursuing, you know, uh, career goals, not finishing college, um, just doing stupid things with, you know. I didn't drive drunk that much, but just, just, you know, just not being responsible for myself, you know, not, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to bail me out. I mean, I always paid rent and didn't end up homeless, but it was, it, you know, at any given time, if something would have gone wrong, I could have ended up, you know, a, a complete statistic. And, mm-hmm. and, and it was only by com- pure luck and sort of screwing up in so many different ways that I finally went, oh, well, I better get my shit together when I was around, you know, 30 or so. And, and that's when you started That's writing. when I started really writing. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer long before that, but I sort of indulged that whole... And, and I still run into people all the time that do that. It's that whole Charles Bukowski, you know, overindulgence, you know. You know. Well, the amazing thing about him is that he could actually then do it. He could actually then write while he was seriously inebriated and 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 that is such a rare thing and there are those few examples of people who can do that but most people are like i have two beers i don't i I don't no i don't need to i don't want to write no i you know what when i'm writing i'm right at the top my little brain is just i'm right at the top of my you know my mental acuity and i mean that's as good as i'm gonna get is when i'm writing and if i'm not there you know, I, I certainly can't impair myself into it. That's that's the key. But there's a there's a school, and I had friends who who reinforced this that, you know, we've got to be this sort of bohemian, you know, self destructive Hemingway kind of. I've got to do it and live life that's very raw, and it's a, and and that just isn't wasn't true. The true thing was that I needed to be disciplined and and you know get up and do the work and stay sober and. You know, well, and, and so forth. Yes. So, so, so I feel, uh, I, I feel fake trying to give any kid an advice coming out of high school about this is what you should do, because I, it's like I didn't listen to anybody who told me that kind of stuff. Well, right, but also you weren't aware of the thing that I think is where we started a little bit with this conversation of the idea of you. You don't have to know that you can do something, but you have to think about what you want to do. Yes. And I feel like that was not a message that was given to me. No. And that no. and you either, right? And so no. that's what leads you to this kind of lost party drinking, goofing off with your friends, kind of 10 years, 5 years of your life can just slip away. Because you just have no direction or focus because no one ever told you, look, the way 
to live your life is not do what the you know the the guidance counselor says it's not like hey get the best education that your brain will allow if you can learn how to be a doctor become a doctor if you can learn how to be a lawyer become a lawyer if you can't learn how to become those then try an accountant or get a degree right, in business right. and if you can't do those then learn how to fix cars i mean that's sort of what we were taught is like get get load your brain with whatever software it can handle and go out and do the highest paying job that you can get right. and that's not really the way i think you should live your life i think it's like hey sit down with yourself and figure out so this is my commencement address now, I guess. That yeah, I'm, go, no, I'm, I'm making to you. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. We're just uh, brainstorming our commencement addresses. I would, you know, you really need to think about what, what would make you happy. What do you want to do? Because if you don't know what you want, you're never, you're not going to accidentally wind up doing what you want right, to do. Right. That I would. That's the yeah. That's the the thing, and um, that's that would be my thesis as well. You know, which I've just stolen from you. Um, is do the thing you want to do. And if you continue to do the thing that you want to do and do the other stuff, like you and I both did, we both waited tables and we did other... I did some really soul-crushing things, like sold insurance to to continue being able to want, you know, to want to be a writer. What kind of insurance? Health, health insurance. So it wasn't uh-huh. that horrible. Although I, I, I wrote... I got a pretty good story out of that, of being that, that guy that scares people into buying insurance. Um my book, Coyote Blue, is about being an insurance salesman in Santa Barbara, which is where I was a, a insurance broker. So right broker that sounds better. Um, but but were you good at it? Yeah, I was pretty good at it. But I had to drink a lot to make it's it's very not real, and that's the that's the thesis of the book. Not to try and, and pimp my twenty year old book now, but but the whole thing was. You walk into a room, and, and this was when Reagan was president, and you go, oh, that Reagan, and people you know, people would go, that Reagan, and you'd go, what? And they go, he's the worst person in the world. And you go, yes, he is. I hate him. And the next house you go to, and they go, oh, Reagan. And you go, yeah. And they go, he's the best president we've ever had. And you go, yes, he is. Because all you cared about is whether they, was gonna, they were going to buy insurance from you. And, uh-huh. and it wasn't worth you having any sort of standards or, or feelings about <laughs> anything. As long uh-huh. as, as long, the guys that taught me, they went, don't lie about the product. Everything else is on the table. So, you know, it's like, you look just like my grandson. He has five kids. You're like, so do I. I have five kids too. And you know, it was just ridiculous how oh how little integrity you would have. As long, you know, because the guys that taught me, like I said, they would say, "Don't lie about the product. Tell them the truth about the coverage they're getting and what they're paying for it, and all that stuff, and the limitations and exclusions and all that. That you have to tell the truth about. But if they need you to be a Catholic, be a Catholic. And if the next house needs you to be a Jew, well, Mazel Tov. And, and so that's sort of what you were. And, and then try and reconcile that when you get home at night and you're like, I'm just a weasel, you know. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's turned out that if you had like three quarters of a quart of vodka, you didn't feel that weaselly, you know. You were fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, well, that's, I, a good, that's a good rule of thumb of yeah. like, hey, if you need a certain amount of pot or booze just to kind of deaden a part of yourself to be right, able to get right. through your day, maybe you should, maybe you're not doing what you want to do. Exactly. That, yeah, that is a, that's a good gauge of it. You know, and I, I just dealt with a friend whose son is sort of, yeah, the world is too ex- much without being drugged. But uh, the world is a lot. Yeah, yeah, and and sort of coping is what you're here for, you know. But but the point being is that you can do some other stuff and and 
and still keep going towards your thing. And and if you fail, and this is the other part of our commencement speech that we're now doing right. jointly, if you fail, at least you failed doing something you love to do. Whereas if you become an attorney, and you see this all the time, if you ever go to Esalon or any of these, you know, these Zen hangouts in Boulder or something like that, they're full of corporate lawyers that that make, you know, they're obviously in the in the one percentile of income, and so miserably unhappy that they will, you know, they'll wear their their five hundred dollar Italian shoes out to rake someone's compost, you know, for a Zen monk in order to feel some sense of being alive, and and that's the other side of it. It's like, well, dude, wouldn't have you been better if you'd failed at being a clown because you liked being a clown. Well, I mean, that's the le- that, there is a lesson of show business in that, and and it has to do with uh, you know your if you're a comic in a sitcom or whatever, you would rather fail on a show that you believe in than on a show yeah. that someone else believed in that you kind of had a bad feeling about. You know, if you're going to ride down the toilet anyway, you might as well be riding one of your own turds. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, graduates yeah, of there you 2000. Go. Good night, everybody. Kiss your mother for me, will you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you tonight, <laughs> as you go out into the world, okay, I think I think that's your thesis line. If you're going to get out of the toilet, at least ride one of your own turds. I, yeah, you've coined it. But, uh, but then I feel like also, like by the same token that this whole, the, the question of like how did you know you were going to be good at something is flawed because you don't know that you're going to be good. You just got to know what you want to do and then you got to try. The whole idea of being a failure at something is people have misconceptions about that, where their definition of being a failure is so broad. Like there, there are people who would say, Hey, if you are not, if you're not the biggest selling author of your genre, or if you're not the, If you're not the comedian that everybody's talking about right now, then you you probably cry yourself to sleep. Yeah. Uh, you which is not not the case at all. Which is not the case at all. And there's plenty of people who toil kind of in relative obscurity who are happy people and, and they good at what they do. And they produce a body of work that while it's maybe it's not appreciated at that well Van, Vincent Van Gogh so that guy is—he's yeah. a failure. He's just like us. He's a failure. Yeah. I mean, um, his art—he didn't make millions well, and, of dollars. Yeah, histo- yeah, the historical thing. But but if you're going for what makes you happy to do, and and the actual pursuit of it, you know, I mean, and uh, among other things, it comes through with what you do. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious seeing your show. You like doing it. You know, you're not. You know, there may be nights where I would rather. You know, I feel crappy, but. Watching you perform, you're either really good at faking or you really like doing it. No, I really like doing it. And I feel like, I've said this before, but I mean, I feel like when when in the past I've done pilots of things that didn't go or I did uh, a part in a movie that I thought was going to be successful and kind of launch a bigger movie career... And I would say, well, I really like doing stand-up. I mean, I kind of felt like maybe I'm rationalizing that a little bit. But now I feel like I was actually telling the truth because I really do like doing stand-up. And, you know, when you see a guy like Jerry Seinfeld who has hundreds of millions of dollars going back out to do stand-up, I mean, that's all the proof that I feel like I need to offer anybody that this is a fun job and it's good. Yeah, sure, there's work parts of it. You're away from your family and you you don't get to do some things that other people with 
different kinds of jobs do. So there's a there's a have to and want to in every job, and yeah. you just want to focus on the want to and try and minimize the have to of of yeah. your job. And I, yeah, I, I sort of had my my going back to our our commencement speech thesis moment in Santa Barbara as an insurance salesman. Uh, uh, you know, and I I was I think probably crashed my life for about the third time. And I was in my mid-20s, and I was living in this, like, it was like a converted Motel 6 room. It was smaller than this room, and it had a kitchenette and so forth. And I was living there um, near the hospital in Goleta, and, think, and everything that I owned was, I could reach from my bed and or see from my bed. And I thought, why am I doing this? Why am I in this place and doing this job? And then, you know, but I had my dress clothes that I had to wear for my job. And I thought, well, to make money. And I thought, well, what if I had all the money in the world? What would I do? And I thought, well, I travel, and then I write. And I thought, hey, wait a minute. Why don't I remove the condition of having all the money in the world and just go right to what I'd do if I had it? And that's you know, like stand up and 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 for me writing is like. Okay, if I write, then I'm already there. I don't need all the money in the world. I don't, you know. Right, right, right. Well, that's a that's that's a good uh, kind of exercise, also, because I had thought about that just in the context of of life now, of that whole idea of if I if I was rich, what would I do? And usually, people's answer to that is something that they could do now. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If if you really give yourself a chance to right. answer that question, I'm sure you can't go and stay in the Ritz Carlton in Paris, but you could definitely go to Paris. Oh yeah, yeah, know? absolutely, absolutely. And one of the things that I didn't even realize until I started writing books, and I and this was, I was sort of interested in the sciences and in anthropology, cultural anthropology, and I thought, man, I just don't have the discipline for ten years of, of school. And when I did a book a few years ago on whales, and 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 marine mammal researchers and just because I had a few books in print these people went yeah you can be in our club you can come hang out with us and watch us and I met people who had become some of the foremost marine mammal researchers in the world and they don't even have a science degree I don't even know if they have a bachelor's degree there's a guy named Bob Pittman who has said to me I've seen more killer whales than any person on the planet and he has speciated four species of killer whales himself this guy has no background except I really want to do this. And he went and he wanted to do it badly enough and was willing to do it under enough circumstances that now he's one of the foremost guys on the planet. At any given time, he's in Antarctica with scientists shooting killer whales to get with crossbows to get skin samples for biopsies. And I realized there are people in any field that what they what drove them is how much they wanted to do something mm-hmm. and not so much how you know the process that we're all led on to get to because the process has to always speak to the lowest common denominator and that's a, and that's a tough thing that's that goes to the question that I know you get asked is um, can you teach someone to be funny well that yeah that was just going to say that idea of you take a comedy class to learn how to be a comedian and really the way you learn how to be a t- comedian is by doing comedy. You sign up for an open mic and you have some ideas and you talk about them on stage and you figure it out by doing it. Right. Now you can't you can't learn how to be a doctor that way anymore. Right. But right. that's used to be how you did become a doctor. <laughs> um, well, I've got a scalpel. I'm yeah. off to work. Uh, let me take a look at it. Let me just cut you open and I'll see if anything looks weird and see what I can straighten out. It's, there's a lot of risk, but uh, I'll do my best. We're good friends. You know, I'm not going to do. I'm not just messing. Around. Just but so you can't become a doctor that way anymore. But but 
people, a lot of people have this idea that, that that's a good way to become a comedian. And I always say, well, the class, com- comedy classes are great, and there is some craft stuff that you can learn how to do. Sure. But most people are taking that class so that they get permission. Mo- they're going, they're they're buying right. into that whole concept of how did you know you could do it? Well, so and so gave me a piece of paper that says I can do right. it. Well, you, you don't even realize you don't need that piece of paper to do that. Right. You know, my wife is now getting this degree in environmental studies because she wants to work in that area and my advice as as was a friend of ours who had graduated from Yale and as one of these giant investment banker guys was just take classes that you're interested in and volunteer and use your connections to go out and get into mm-hmm. a job working there you know she wants to get the degree for her own reasons but but she really still is buying into this concept a little bit mm-hmm. that uh, that degree is what is going to entitle her to enter that world and it's like that door is actually unlocked. Yeah. You're allowed to just go through that door. Yeah. And there are so many doors that people think are locked because of education or birth entitlement kind right. of stuff that are really open with, with, with a certain amount of work of applying yourself to just anyone who's passionate about yeah. it. That's exactly true. That's exa- that, the question I get asked all the time is, you know, what about an, an MFA in creative writing? And I, you know, like I said, I'm sophomore college. You know, I haven't had a writing class since high school. And, um, well, that would be great if you want an MFA in creative writing. And, and there are some professional writers, uh, Dennis Lehane is one, who swears by it. But that's not how I did it, you know. And I, Yeah, and, I, I think that's a type of a person thing. And, then, and so maybe my wife is a different type of person. I don't think she's she is just based on my personal diagnosis of her probably on my experience but there are some people who that degree and that information that they're very analytical nuts and bolts they look at the world as like you get your tools you lay them out in front of you in the order the ones that work in which hand and then you survey your problem and you make your you you know there's you break it down in this really clinical way if that's your approach to the world then maybe this degree in fine arts is going to be helpful but there's a ton of stuff in there that just is not the way that it actually works and that's what I would Mm -hmm. say about comedy classes it's like they're telling you a lot of things that are really just a backdoor way of getting to that zen mind monkey style approach to the world where you kind of just trust yourself and go for it well and that's sort of the without a net thing is, is where it is I mean when the when it begins is when you step on stage what you need to get you to step on stage is up to you. But where it begins is... Which is not to say that you don't work on your craft in your off time, as we are now. Uh. <laughs> yeah, right. The pot. <laughs> the pot. Yes, I'm working on my... I'm honing my craft. Well, this is like just a little fun side thing that I... No, but, like I, I, no, but, but you... Th- I mean, you think about... You write jokes. I mean, you think about your show. You have funny ideas and you write them down. But then... You know, the actual on-stage part of being a stand-up comedian, a lot of it is, it's it's like being an athlete where you train to develop this muscle memory so that when you wind up in a situation, you don't have to look up in the book how to do it. Right, you right. just react to it right. based on based on who you are and or your past experience and all right. this other stuff. But if you can get in touch with who you are another way besides taking a stand-up class, um, you know, for example, by just going up and doing stand-up, then 
that's another route. You're still going to the same place. You're going to this place where you are yourself and you're reacting Mm -hmm. just spontaneously in the moment Mm -hmm. being yourself. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question that I get asked all the time because I write, for those of you who don't know who I am, I write humorous novels. So they're made up stuff that people do or have funny stuff happen to them and people laugh at it. And I, as far as I know, maybe one of like three people in the world that do this, you know, with any degree of success. Um, maybe more, but I don't, they're not real to me. Um, who, are the so, other, who are the other two people that, we, that you would put in that uh, group? Uh-huh. Or do you not want to men- do you not want to mention? No, I, I'm because it's interesting because when you say three, it's like boy, that's who are the that's other two? That's a small. Um, uh, I don't think anybody's books are as funny as mine are. Did anybody? Alive? I think Douglas Adams when he was alive. I think his books right. Were, so that's yeah. that's just a good yeah. way to people for people to get an idea yeah. if if they're not familiar with you. If you like Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah, um, or Tim Robbins, I think is in that. Tom uh, Robbins. Tom yeah, Robbins. Yeah, Tom yeah, Robbins. Yeah, 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 Tom yeah, Tom Robbins. Tom Robbins. Yeah, I'm. In fact, I had the same editor as Tom Robbins, and 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 he. I mean, I did for a while. He had edited uh, one of Tom Robbins' books, and he edited my most successful book, which is Lamb, and um, and he said, "You are." He said, "You're not." Like Tom Robbins, you're Tom Robbins for your generation, and you know Tom Robbins has a son my age, you know. So it's you know even though his books are kind of look exactly the same size as mine, you know he he could be my dad, and so that's right. a, it's a different generation. And, and but yeah, Vonnegut, Adam, I don't do what they do, but we it's just a shorthand of yeah, like yeah, if, yeah. You're, so, you're, so, yeah. if you like those it's guys, a, you that, should check that out. Yeah. Early, right so there. you're that's that. A, you're, yeah. Yeah. And, th- and two two out of three of my guys are two out of four of us are dead. You know, so so someone's hunting, clearly hunting us down. Anyway, yeah. that's what I do to explain to your audience. And and but people are always, you know, can you, you know, the two things. And I I apologize in advance for asking you this question, but because you probably get asked all the time, and it's probably not a, not a happy answer. Can did you know? Did you know you were funny? And can you teach somebody to be funny? Well, I feel like did you know you were funny is what we were talking about before. Right. I mean, a little bit. It's, 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 a, it's a different way of asking, like, how did you know you could be good at this? And, I mean, obviously, if you're going to try and be a comedian or if you're going to try and be an author or if you're going to try and be a dancer, right. then you've danced or you've written some things or you've made some people laugh in your life. Now, those are three things that we've all probably done right. a little bit of. Right. And so, um, so you, you know, you don't know that you can do it, but you know that you want to do it. Is that's my answer to that first question? Right. And then, can you teach somebody to do it? It's like I can help someone to do something that they want to do, especially if it's something that I already am doing because I want to do it. Is sure, but the kind of conversations that I'm interested in having with um, people who are new to doing comedy may not be something that they could even be ready to understand if they're thinking about it in terms of how do I know that I can do this they have to already be like what would it be like if I was doing it then then we can start right. to have a conversation that's interesting to right. me you know like well you will be traveling a lot you'll be on the road mathematically i spend more time with my daughter than if i had a 9 to 5 regular job mm-hmm. but when my wife is comparing 
our family time to our friends' family time who live in that quote-unquote real world, it's these are the differences between this and that. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if you have a regular job, this is how you go to work at this time and you work till this time. And then if it's a blue-collar job, you have some time off. Or if it's a high-level corporate job, people are calling you, asking you questions that you don't want to have to answer. Yeah. But if you're a comedian or an artist, you know, your your time is your own. But you have to force yourself to sit down and apply yourself right. to prepare for the time when you're actually going to be writing the book or going on stage and doing the show. And so this is how you need to think about that time. And this is how you need to really be internally strong to make that happen. Now, those are the things that I feel like you can help right. people to understand that they don't understand. The part of, like, can you teach somebody to be funny? It's like, I can't... I can help you to be yourself, but I can't teach you to be yourself. You're the expert on that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that's... My answer for, as from the writing standpoint is, you know, discipline... Because everyone will think, you know, even after you start to make it, they'll go, well, you don't really do anything. So, you know, let's go to a ball game or let's go to lunch, you know. And um, so the idea that you have to treat it like a real job, even though nobody else will. But that stuff, yeah. And, I can, and what I will say is I can teach you comic timing, which for somebody who writes prose, so not writing, you know, performance stuff that someone's going to say and that you can workshop it, but you've got to basically tell a joke and find out 18 months later whether it was funny or not um you know i can teach you that on paper how to take what what someone who on stage does and put the he says and the she says in there to give the beat to to for the line to make it funny i I can teach you that but if you didn't think of it to be funny i can't teach you that but i can see what you're saying in terms of the nuts and bolts of writing a, a joke there are less variables than the nuts and bolts of performing a joke. Right. But they're not just nuts and bolts, even with the writing, I don't think, because I feel like there's enough of you and your sense of humor and your sensibility that maybe not if you break it down on an individual joke basis, but when you consider the a, a whole book or your, the body of your work, there's stuff, there, there's there's a underlying something in there that that is not... It's not a math problem. Yeah. Know? No, and that's what I'm saying. Is I can't. Yeah, I can't teach you that. You know, I can't teach you how to how to go and do stuff that no one's ever done before. You know, because when I did it, I didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe what you need to learn is that. You know, I've I've never written a book that I knew I could do when I started it. You know, I I thought, okay, this is it. I'm done. You know, I, I'm I'm in a hole now, and I'll never dig my way out. And um, and still, after writing fourteen of them, you know, I, um, and that's setting somebody up. And maybe that's the the point of you know you, every comedian I've ever heard tells people you're gonna they're gonna be nights where you bomb and you did the same material that you did the night before in the same way. That's sort of my life as a, as a writer and trying to you know. I, so that's my speech to the to the student who says, "Can you teach me to be funny?" No, I can teach you to try. Have you had? I'm sorry. You, you can you can't teach them to be funny, but you can teach. You can teach. I can teach you to jump off of cliffs and hope you can learn to fly. Hope you have your squirrel suit on. Um. Now, do you ha- have you had experiences with your not? To, uh, I mean, I w- if you're interested to name names, but uh, but maybe the answer is no. Have you had experiences with your books where you felt like, oh, that one was nice try. 
Um, obviously, some are more ambitious. close to the bullseye than others. Well, but, yeah. Mean, and, uh, well, that's the advantage of, of of picking projects that you weren't sure that you could do is that if you sort of if you aim really high and you miss, you still do okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that there are books that I. Most of the time, the way I look at them, if I look at, they could have been better. I think I could have probably used a, that could have used another rewrite. That mm-hmm. could have, I could have I, I used another three or four months to go back through that and fix that. Or now, knowing what I know now, which is not fair to me, you know, because the guy I was twenty years ago when I wrote my, you know, my second book, say, wouldn't necessarily do it that way. But I know a lot more now than I did then, you know. And, yeah, yeah. and, and it'd be the same way if you know you watching routines from a long time ago, they were successful. But you might do them differently, and, and that's how I look at it. Now, I don't feel like any of my books have failed except in, you know, the things that I don't have any control over is, you know, that one really should have sold more. You know, I remember writing my, uh, I wrote, my third book was a vampire book. I didn't want to write a vampire book, and it was sort of picked by my editor, and he went, no, you should do this. And what's the name of it? Uh, Bloodsucking Fiends, a love story. And it's set here in San Francisco. It's my first book set in the city. And, um... And I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to do this vampire book, this isn't a vehicle for big themes or anything. I'm going to write this in three acts like a movie, and it's going to be the easiest adaptation in the world, and it's going to be a funny vampire book and or movie if they want to do it, and this is going to be a slam dunk. You know, it's going to – I'm just – I already – somebody needs to give me a million dollars for this for the film rights. And it, it, it just fell miserably flat. The, the book – I finished it sort of – um, at the same time that Eddie Murphy put out a really horrible comedy vampire movie, and I think mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen put out a really horrible comedy vampire movie, and it was like you know how you work in Hollywood, you, it was poison to you know any you couldn't mention the word vampire. Right, vampires and, are back now. Yeah, but but it, you know they go, it's a cycle thing. But at the time, and, you know, and funny vampires, no way. Right, and so so you know it, it was nothing. So yeah, that didn't live up to what my expectations were, but it didn't have anything to do with my execution of the book. It had to do with the reaction to it, and in that case, you know, that's never going to stop being. You know, I'm I'm always going to have better expectations than what happens. You know, um, right, right, or maybe occasionally be pleasantly surprised, but but. Uh, well, that that to go back to the commencement address that, and and something that we touched on before is this whole idea of success and failure, and the definition of failure is to me not something that you should allow other people to put on you. Right. You you decide that you failed, right. and in my mind, when I feel like I failed, if I don't achieve what I wanted to achieve, right. you know, it's just like. Look, if if I if I did what I set out to do in the way that I set out to do it, and I feel like look that I did my that was my best, you know, I, yeah. I couldn't have. A lot of times, I feel like with a joke, if it doesn't go over, sometimes it's there's something you could change in the setup. Right. People don't have enough information; they don't understand exactly what you think is funny. But uh, you can't let other people decide what your definition of success and failure is. You can't say, look, hey, because I didn't become. Um, Chris Rock or Louis C.K., I'm a failure. It's like that's that's wrong, right? Right. You know, right. And that you know that that that's out of your control. And I agree. But I, I'm just you know, for me, it's I use the phrase, "Did I pull it off?" You know, because I set down sort of these 
Um, I you know gave you a copy of my last book, Sacre Bleu. It's like I'm going to write. You know, I, this is going into it. I'm going to write a comedy set in Belle Epoque, Paris, um, where the major characters are Toulouse Lautrec and Vincent Van Gogh and Paul Gauguin, and it's a comedy, and it's about the color blue. Go. You know, it's, it's like worst night like a high, ever at the improv, you know? <laughs> you talk about placing these restrictions, the, the rules that you define for yourself yeah. to, to raise the degree of difficulty of yeah. that. It's like, could it be, yeah. what about all of the, what about the rainbow so you get a few yeah. more colors? <laughs> no, it had to be about the color blue. And, and you know, so I pulled it off. So even if it... You know, I mean, and when, again, when I wrote the end, I went, well, I did that, you know, and, and it's not pat myself on the back, but I really didn't know going into that, not only could I do it, but could it be done, you know, and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. yes, the answer to that is yes, I don't know how well, and that's usually for, for months, I don't know how well, but yeah, that can be done, but then when the book came out, I was I was in Denver um, when on book tour when I got the call from my editor when it, where it was going to appear on the New York Times list. And she calls and she says, Chris, and I was, yeah, and they get it days before, you know, it comes out. She goes, you're debuting at number three on New York Times. I go, fuck. And she goes, what? And I go, three? Are you serious? Three? And she goes, yeah. And she goes, you're not happy with that? I go, fuck no, I'm not happy with that. And she goes, those, that? It's those other two Yeah, I go, because it's not number one. The other it's two not, guys. I go, you know how hard I worked on this? You know, and, <laughs> and I was I was just like complete. And, and it's like, if you would have told me, you know, kid in Ohio with a flare marker and some notebook paper, a big cheap notebook, yeah, you're going to be number three on the New York Times list. I would have, you know. But see, you buy into other people. I feel like that is you created your own world where you're buying into some other Oh, you know, yeah. that's not your definition of success to be number one. No, to be it's number because three my is like nemesis has been number one, you know? And <laughs> your nemesis. <laughs> I know who your nemesis yeah, and I'm not is, but we're say. not going to no, say no, who I'm your nemesis say, is. No, I'm not going to say, but I, you know, my nemesis has been number one and not, hasn't done the work to justify it. That's all I'm saying. But um, <laughs> Slacker, that guy. Can't believe it. It's oftentimes things come so easy to your nemesis. <laughs> Which is really makes you hate them more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, would you? I, you know, I guess I'm trying to get to the, the finale of the of our commencement address. Yeah, we're wrapping up our commencement yeah, address. So, would you still consider yourself not not? I think success is a loaded word, but when you when we're talking about being an artist and doing what you want to do and pursuing your happiness, do you think if you if you still had to do another job to support yourself, would you be writing books? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I, I would. Yeah, if, if the answer you know the interesting answer to that on the other side is. You know, we bought some Powerball tickets, you know, when it was a couple weeks ago. It was like absurd, like a half a billion dollars or something like that. And my wife was like, well, you know, and we could, you know, give our friends, buy our friends a house so they don't have to worry about that. And we'll do that. And she goes, and I would do this and this. And and then she just stopped and she said, your life wouldn't change at all, would it? And I was like, not really. I sort of would still get up and, you know, have coffee and go sit down at my desk and go, I got to think up some stuff today. And and that's sort of the what success is, you know, going back to how I made the decision in the first place is somebody dropped a half a billion dollars on me. I might have a better office, 
<laughs> right, right. But but I yeah I would I would still do it. So if I if I well that's broke, the, but that's the kind of the flip side. That's of my the flip question. side. But that's yeah, the, I would do I would work another job. And given that now I'm old and tired, you know, I would do my best to also write. I mean, I I think that once you when you first start out writing, you have to really get over the fact that it's hard. Yes, of course it's hard. If it weren't hard, everybody would do it. But then after a while, you put conditions on what you need and how hard it is because it is your job and you have to make it's not I haven't done a real day's work in 20 years you know like mm-hmm. a guy who works with a shovel or right so does, it's hard to even consider yeah so so I mean it would kill me if I had to actually work. you might be writing as not be writing as many books but yeah but I would, would I would be. definitely if I if I was still mobile enough I would definitely wait tables and and make a living waiting tables and then you know at in my 50s I would do that sure We've got a friend who whose father is in his seventies, and he's written several books and self-published them. And I read one of them, and uh, you know, and he keeps writing them, and they're free. He just gives them to his friends, and I read it, and I actually had dreams about it. it there was something about this book that kind of really captured my imagination right. to the point where I was dreaming about the characters and imagining different things, and and I feel like. I really, uh, in my commencement address, would want to say something encouraging to the people who someday are going to wind up as that guy and, yeah. and say, you know, you're, you're almost more of an artist in, in, oh, in yeah. some ways yeah. because, because you haven't received <coughs> awards, but you still continue to produce your art. Well, I, had, I taught a master fiction class, master of fiction, at a, at a writers' conference a couple of years ago, and one of the women master in, of fiction. master of fiction. Ah, which which begs the question: master of reality? <laughs> no, nonfiction. Master of nonfiction. Yeah, master of nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All right, but, but yeah, it was so I, master of fiction. I was teaching master of fiction, and basically, you know, the reason you call it that is because people have to take themselves seriously enough. To think I'm going to pay the extra, you know, how much amount of money it is, 500 bucks or whatever, to take the yeah. master of fiction class for. Yeah, it's know, hard to charge the big bucks for dabbler. Yeah, fiction. and it's like a, it's like a five day workshop, and 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 everybody in the in the class, you know, to to be honest, was way above average of, you know, they were good writers, all of them were. Mm-hmm. But one woman was really, you know, she said, I love Marcel Proust, and I want to write. Like Proust and and you know the whole Madeline and my whole life comes back through a cookie and yada yada yada, and um, and I said that's that's such a pure ambition, and you should do that, but I can't teach you how to do that. What I'm here to tell you how to do is what my ambition was, which is to make a living doing this thing, and I said and I'm not sure that Proust would, but you are much purer than I. And I would not, for a second, discourage mm-hmm. you from wanting to write poetry. You know, if someone wants to write poetry, you are much more pure than I am as a writer because you're never going to make a living writing poetry. Mm-hmm. I don't even think the the best paid poet in the world makes a living writing poetry. And you know, he's teaching to make a living. You know, and 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 so that's pure love of the craft. You know, and that's uh, you know more power to you, man. But do you, so. Well, now you just now we're going, and now I feel like we're not wrapping up because I have to ask you 
do you think of yourself when you write these books? Because I always had the impression that you were writing these books because it was this is the kind of books that you want to write. Is there an element of you're doing it to make money, or that's just that's kind of an incidental thing? No, I, I am. I am. I, I do know people who really don't like what they do, but they get paid a lot of money to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that at all. I mean, I'm writing what I want to write, and I have I'm lucky enough to also get paid for it. Right, right. But I do. I do write it in a manner that I think about an audience that will pay for it. I mean, if you if you only want to write for yourself, it's like if you only want to tell jokes that crack you up, you don't really have to have a very high standard. You know, you can be. I mean, at least for me, um, that's what I'm saying. It's the difference between are you right? You know, it's the difference between mass media and media. I had a friend who was a painter, and and we we had this discussion, and I said, you know, and he painted weird shit. And I go, you only have to resonate with one person for that piece of art to work, you mm-hmm. know. And that and that point of resonation might be that would look awesome over my couch. I have to reach a mass of people, and I have to reach them in a way that they're in, within conventions that they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And and therefore, you know, I can't you know write an entire. I don't have the ability nor the desire to write an entire novel based on you know leaves. Um, you know, although that description of Sacre Blue was a little bit, in, you know, that was a little bit of a challenge. Well, you know. but but you know, then, then there's always the thing, and then the end, the end of all that description is, and it has to be funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it has to be funny, and that's the thing is. Well, that's that goes back to stand up too. It's yeah. like yes, it's wide open art form. You can do whatever you want as long as people laugh at it. Yeah, and 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 there are people there are people in stand up who who work out on those. Those edges and and make a name just doing that weird conceptual shit that they do, you know. Well, right. So the less people that you know, yeah, you reach the audience that you're going to reach, and yeah. so yeah. But there are convention, and that's what I'm talking about. Is is yeah, I have to. I like my soccer blue may have weird and and diverse subject matter that required a lot of sort of bringing things, but my job was to make that accessible to an audience, and so that's the difference between commercial fiction and just. Writing for the pure joy of the sound of the words is, um, I it, it's not going to be effective, and it's not just you know listening to my muse if nobody else gets it, even if I'm brilliant. And I tell people that I go, you know, you, you know, I'll read something for a workshop, and I don't do that often because I think I'm, I don't think I'm a great teacher, which I think is coming through. But I'll go, look, this might be brilliant, but if it is, you're such a genius that you're not communicating with your audience. Which in my world means it's not effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's the you know the idea of when I say commercial fiction, it means that I'm trying to write something that you know a million people will like. Does that mean I have to compromise? No, because I figure if I like it, a million people will probably like it. Right. You well, know? and a lot of times, to go back to that joke analogy that I was saying, when a joke doesn't work, I a lot of times say to comedians, this isn't because the audience is stupid and it's not because it's a bad joke. It's because the audience doesn't understand what you think is funny. You've left out some key piece of information that helps them right. to get what you think the joke here right. is. You know? right. And so sometimes it's like, look, you're such a genius that no one can ever get this joke. And right. sometimes it's like, they don't know that they're both at a bus stop right now. You right. You, you didn't tell them that, you right. know. So, right. um, and stuff goes by me. I mean, there are, and we've talked about no names. We mentioned we talked about comedians that go well. What they have in common and they're successful is they're not funny. 
you know, and and, <laughs> and I have I I and I'll confess, and I would never expect you to do this because it's your business. The people who do like conceptual shocky stuff, like Andy Kaufman used to do, hate it. Hate it. It's like if you hate it. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. It's like if your job was if you feel your job is to make me feel uncomfortable, spot on. But I don't like feeling uncomfortable, so I don't like your stuff, you know? I did an interview about Andy Kaufman years ago. They were putting together some kind of thing that was going to be a documentary tribute or comedians talking about him thing. And I was saying, you know, everybody talks about how great Andy Kaufman was. And I was around when he first came out. And there was some stuff you could get, but a lot of times he was not winking to the audience to let you know it was a joke. And in fact, the more you kind of wanted him to admit that you were cool and hip and you got it and it was a joke, he would just keep going and reading a poet, a poem or something. Mm -hmm. And so there was an element of Andy Kaufman that was a little bit like, Hey, fuck you. If I don't get to get the joke, then you're, then it's not, you're not funny. Right. So, so, but people forget that in retrospect about about him. I mean, I, I, not to. But, I think but, he, but, he but, was he was great, and I did like a lot of things he did. But there was a huge part of it that was like, look, this doesn't. At the time, this didn't really work. Right, and and there's a Don Marquis wrote a bunch of books based on a cockroach and a cat called Archie and Mehitable back in the 30s, and he said, you know, if you if you make people if you make people think they are thinking, they will love you. But if you actually make people think, they will hate you. And I think that I'm in the business of make pe- making people feel like they're smart, and I'm happy with that because I like that feeling too. You know, I watch Jeopardy for the questions I know the answer to. Yeah. You know? well, <laughs> if that's... it was harder, if you watch like Mastermind on BBC, you're like, I'm complete. I'm just a, a lump of. I'm a toad. That's what I am. I'm, you know. Well, people sometimes want to compliment me and say, "Hey, you you do intellectual comedy," and I always kind of push back on that because it's like when people read that in a review, they're like, "I don't want to go to a show where I have to think." You know, mm-hmm. that's not a comp. It's a compliment after you've seen me to describe it that mm-hmm. way to say, "Hey, all of us who went to your show are smart enough to get your show." But I was saying to him, "You're not helping me get people to come to to my show," and I want to remind people that uh, you don't have to be smart to get my show. You <laughs> just have to be quiet. Stupid drunk people enjoy my show on a regular basis if they're just quiet. These jokes are easily fielded by a child with a glove. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your tagline. Makes you feel smart. Yeah. Um, and, well, and I think I think that is, I, you know, I'm a I was a fan of yours before I got to know you, so I'm I'm not ashamed to say this, but that was one of the things I loved about your work because I was like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. Oh yeah. That's, well, those are know, the best jokes that I know, hear when you hear like, some other person make a joke that you that's like ah. Oh. You know, I mean, it was well, no, and it wasn't a competitive thing. It was just, you know, I'm I'm never saying I could have performed it, but but. Uh, you know, and I told you this before, when you, when you did, uh, this will take about an hour. I mean, if I would go out with somebody, I'd go, you got to watch this tape. If you don't like this, we just can't hang, you know, because um, there was just, there was just like, oh, that, that dude, is, I mean, that, that timing and all that. Anyway, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, but I'm just saying that, that what worked about it is it made me feel like I was in on yeah. it, like I was smart, yeah. even though I didn't think of it, you know? Yeah. And, and I was more, I, that all reaction is like those jokes where you hear someone else do a joke and you realize you you could have, like, I I did this uh, show a couple years ago. With Louis C.K. invited me and Stephen Wright and Richard Lewis to, to be on the bill of his show in Chicago at the Chicago Theater. It was a great night. It was great to get to see 
all those other guys and hang out. I hadn't seen Stephen for years. And Stephen did this joke about my friend has a trophy wife. Mm-hmm. It wasn't first place. <laughs> And, you know, and I didn't, I kind of ham-fisted the joke, but that's the premise of the joke. And it was like such an awesome joke. And I'm sitting backstage with Louie and we're just like, holy cow, that joke has been lying. It's like a hundred dollar bill that's been lying on the, on the ground. Yeah. You walk by it every day. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then he picks it up and it's right there. You're like, oh my God. So those are my favorite guys. Well, and that's what Steven does and always yeah. has done, you know, is this pick up that hundred dollar bill that we should have seen. Yeah. But, yeah. But, and that, and I think you do that to some extent too. It's, you know. You got to wrap this up. I was just thinking, you know, I don't want to suck. We, we, I come up here so you could be on the podcast again. I would love to have you on the podcast again. So this isn't the end of us. <laughs> no, I don't think we were breaking up. I just feel bad that you have a show tonight, and I'm I, well. And also, I have to pee right now. But yeah. <laughs> quickly, what? How do we bring it on home? For our graduates, like what is the final takeaway? If you had to sum up, I'm going to keep vamping for a little while while you're thinking, and I see your eyes going up to the left. If no, 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 no. I mean, your thesis was it. You got to follow your bliss. You got to do what you want and hope somebody will pay you for it. And then the rest of it is just you know anecdotal. You know, it's it's stories and th- and things to make people. You know, this is my experience. This is experience of my friends. This is what you'll encounter. And the but the bottom line is you're going to be a happier more well-adjusted person if you're not striving to be but if you just go become what you want to be i mean if you want to be a guitar player you know how you do that you pick up a guitar and play now you may have to wait tables or sell mazdas to you know allow you to do that but Mm -hmm. that's what you need to do and and that and that also allows for the fact that and you may find that you don't want to do that at some point you know, you may be able to, and that, and that's that's the the other revelation you were talking about making warning people, but but because we're wrapping this up, that's it. Do what you want to do. Hope someone will pay you for it. But even if you have to pay for it, do what you want to do. Right. You yeah. may not get to be a rock star, but you will get to be a really yeah, good guitar yeah. player. Yeah, it's like the difference between I want to be an actor, or I want to be a movie star. Movie star, you're probably going to be disappointed. If you want to be an actor, go act. Yeah, you know, and and that that's that's you know that's our thesis. That's my wrap up. And if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a dentist, you have a path. holy shit. There's How a map cool. you can buy at the I grocery know. store for that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's and one of the things. If you want to be something unconventional, and, and when we're doing, we're talking to our graduates. Let's face it. If that if there's 300 people in that class, there's going to be three of them maybe that are want to do the kind of shit that you and I want to do, mm-hmm. you know. So we're you know you can't just like schools can't teach for those three, we can't give our speech for those three, right? You know? So so it's okay that you have a path of something you want to do, but even if you you know if you do something you know that feeds your family, you can still do something you want to do. You know, if you're a lawyer and you hate being a lawyer, you know. I have a, my lawyer in New York, my entertainment guy, has a, a band that plays. They practice like two nights a week. They have a practice space. They can afford a really nice practice yeah. space. And they lawyers play like, already always have really good guitars. And they and they have really nice guitars. They have vintage guitars, and they play like '80s ska music. You know that mm-hmm. nobody wants to hear like 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 English beat and Finding Cannibals and stuff like that because yeah, yeah. that's when they wanted to play that stuff. But now you know they've got everything else dialed in, and and they go they go get to be Sky Guys, man. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So so it, you know you can find your bliss you know through an obtuse 
path to. There's more than one way to skin a cat. This is a horrible speech. It is a horrible speech. You know, do they pay people luckily, for commencement speeches? I think they do, don't they? I don't know. I'm no, nobody's ever asked me. Yeah, you did get asked. But I guess yeah, but, they didn't they get down yeah, but maybe that's what it gets like. We might have to pay them, and they were like, no. Didn't get down to the money. I get embarrassed. Wouldn't it be embarrassing if what you got was an honorary high school diploma? <laughs> <laughs> And you get to keep the cap and down. Like, I'm 50 years old. I, what am I going to use this to get into technical school? <laughs> Go pee. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say goodbye. But if I say goodbye and, you you know, okay, before I'll, you go pee, then you'll be, like, jumping up and down and I'll be embarrassed. Right. Okay. I won't listen. Have you been talking this whole time? No. no. I've just been letting this dead air. I was looking to see how hard it would be to parkour down the side of that, that building, and it would be pretty hard. Yeah, I think it would be tricky, because that pipe is big around. I mean, you'd have to be fair. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm thinking that I was immediately imagining the abrasions on my knees before has, I let go and, and fell to my death. It has those seams that are about four or five feet apart, so you could kind of get your feet down on one and then slide yeah. down and then... Bear hug around to the next. John Claude Van Damme could do that in his day. He I could think have. you would probably, before you got to the bottom, you'd get tired and maybe have to <laughs> let go. Also, that thing could be super hot. It's metal and it's in the sun. You know, that's another aspect of. Well, yeah. yeah. But it's better than be, you know. I'm not saying. Yeah, better than being burned alive, which I think yeah. is our, that was our. Thing. That was our other option. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely check the door for heat, and then. Consider trying to get to the stairs yeah. first, because yeah. also you got this window doesn't open. You got to bust that. You no, have to you bust, bust that. that out. Out. Yeah, yeah. But that's one of the first things I do in those really high hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I bust the window out? Do you and, ca- and what could I make a parachute out of? Do you carry that uh, thing that you know you have in your car to break the car window? You know that little hammer with the diamond. I have thing? I have those in my cars. Mm-hmm. I do, uh, but I but that's because I live in San Francisco and you can't go anywhere without going over a big bridge. And then just when I think that's stupid, then somebody drives into a pond and drowns. And I'm like, why didn't you get out of the car? A pond is one thing. But if you drove off the Bay Bridge, you're not going to survive the fall in your car. Well, look, I, you, you look at the kind of self-esteem you're dealing with. I was going to parkour down this pipe outside of your hotel right, room. Right, right, right. That's a good sheer 50-foot drop to the you ground. You don't allow the uh, even the concept of failure to enter into your mind. No. You're just so like, I'm going to live. Not only am I going to live, yeah. I'm going to do something yeah. from the born identity. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know what it is, is I don't want my last thought to be, man, I should have got one of those little glass-breaking hammers. Yeah, you're right. That is yeah. that's a bad last thought. Yeah. It's a bad yeah. last thought. Um, man, I'm sorry I didn't spend that twelve bucks for the for the glass breaking ham. Yeah. I had a I had a, a cab driver the other day told me, you know, he always has a big mag light and now they're they're uh, LED mag lights so the batteries last and stuff and, he, and that's what he told me. He goes, Well, he says you do have this big black metal club in case somebody gets, you know, unruly, but the other thing is Oh, I know, because there was a, a limo that burned up on the San Mateo Bridge. And it was like a bachelorette party, and like six women burned to death in the limo. And the driver was standing out there going, boy, that's... Because they can't get out? They couldn't get out. Because the door locks were... The door was, yeah, the door oh. had them locked in, and they, and, and they, oh, they just God. couldn't get out. And they, don't, they still don't know what the cause of the fire was, 
but the, the, I was in a in a in a taxi right after that, and and uh, the guy brought up the thing about the San Mateo Bridge, and he says that's why I carry this. Is if I get if some we're locked in the car, I can bust out the window, and I went okay. So that's probably not what you say that to the graduates. Always carry a, yeah, a always ca- and always carry a big flashlight. What, okay, so to to actually really wrap it this up, what is your what do you want to tell the graduates of 2014? And you are getting paid for this. I am getting paid. Yeah, and you're going to get an honorary doctorate to Emory. Well, we've already said our main things, which is you know, right. Figure out what you want, what would make you the happiest. And take steps towards that, whatever that is. Like, first of all, just sit down and consider that it's important to figure out what you want and what makes you happy. Then, once you figure out what that is, take steps towards that. Don't be afraid that you might fail because even if you wind up not where you thought you were going, you're going to wind up somewhere that you enjoy because you're heading in that direction. Yeah. And uh, don't let anyone tell you what it mean that you're a failure. You yeah. decide. You decide if you're a failure. They don't decide if you're a failure. And don't let anyone tell you that you're not successful if you feel like you are successful. And um, and also be careful about who you listen to. You know, you're all listening to me, but. What if I'm? What if I don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and then suddenly you're. Co- but be confident. No matter. I don't want to. I don't want to undermine my own authority to, yeah. to th- these things I'm telling you. But a lot of times, you people are listening to someone and they and they start to feel terrible and they think, well, this is how 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 do I know if I could be a comedian? Like. How, how do you know that you couldn't be a comedian? And who is the if someone is telling you that you can't do something, who's to say they're not wrong? You know. Mm-hmm. So be careful of that. And it doesn't have to be. That's okay. This my corollary too is it doesn't have to be a creative thing or a you know a famous thing or a you know it can be. My dad was a cop, he was a highway patrolman, and he said to me without prompting, "I would do this if I didn't get paid to do it." He loved being a highway patrolman. Mm-hmm. You know, that's success. You know? And if when, not if, when, from time to time, you are riding down the toilet on one of your own turds, <laughs> don't forget to put your arms in the air and scream. <laughs> and grab your mag light. Just like the end of, uh, what was that, uh, Stanley Kubrick? <laughs> Yippee oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, Dr. Strangelove. All right. All right. That's Thank it. you. High five. Pretty good for white guys. <laughs> yeah. Book aficionados, that was a good time. And uh, thank you, Christopher Moore, for talking to me. Thank you all for listening. I forgot to mention at the beginning of this episode that if you want to know more about where I am performing, you can go to my website, jakethis.com. 
You get it? It's the same name as the podcast. So jakethis.com, you can find out about all my tour dates. You can follow me on Twitter, at jakethis. And uh, we will just type Jake This into your browser and see what happens. It's going to be something good, I can almost promise you. Uh, so thank you for listening. Please listen next week to episode 51. Uh, because I, I think it's a great story. It's my friend Scott Wilson and uh, the story of his career and uh, and his uh, marriage. And it's a, it's a great love story. It's it's two hours long. So I'll be honest with you. It's uh, You're going to have to set aside some... You don't have to listen to it all at once. I don't have to tell you how to do it. You know how to do it. You are doing it. You're, uh, you're beautiful people, and you all, uh, you all have your right minds and your wits about you. So uh, good luck, and uh, take care of yourselves, and please don't forget to don't give up. Don't give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. Have a great week, and I will uh, talk to you next week. Bye-bye.